awesome. One of the pastor elders here. It's my joy and privilege to get to preach God's word this morning. We're in a series in Daniel. Uh, this is, I think, week four. Um, we're a chapter and a half in, into this book, and um, we are taking our time. So title this morning is Who is God in Babylon? And we're going to be looking at God is eternal, all right? And we'll see that from Daniel chapter two. Um, I want to give you a heads up that um, you're going to get a long intro this morning, so don't let it scare you. We'll keep working our way through, but um, there, there is just this desire um, that as we're walking through Daniel, Daniel presents us opportunities to speak on or address just different attributes of God. And so last week, the desire was to preach through all of chapter 2. We, we, we stopped at, I think, verse 23 or 24, 23, and, uh, and we're picking back up this morning in verse 20 through 23. We'll read that in a little bit. Bobby read that as he was praying this morning. Um, but here's, here's what we're doing. We're going to take stops along the way in this series of Daniel to preach an attribute of God, okay? And, um, and, and Daniel allows us to do that. See, um, Kim and I like to take walks, and we find that when we're walking through a neighborhood that perhaps we've been driving through, like, a lot, um, when you're walking, we find ourselves saying things like, I've never seen that house. Like, have you ever done that, where you've driven in a neighborhood for years, and now you're walking it, and you're like, wait a minute, like, I've not seen that house. I've not seen, wait a minute, they painted that house. When did they paint that house? Where's the oak tree, right? Like, whatever it might be, when you slow things down, you see things that you miss when you're driving by really fast. And that's how I feel about Daniel this morning. We're going to slow down today. And at different times, we'll speed back up. And then we'll slow down again. And we're going to take our time making our way through this incredible book. Daniel isn't just a cool story, okay? What drives these guys living in Babylon? What's, what's rooting them? It's that they know God. They know God. Have you ever people watched? Yep, that's right, you have. Maybe in a mall, maybe on a park bench, People watching is a thing, and it's a thing because people are funny creatures. You are funny creatures, right? I am a funny creature, right? We're entertaining without trying. That's what people watching is, right? We literally can sit on a bench and be entertained watching people because people do funny things, and people have funny walks, and people have funny laughs, and people have funny expressions, and just you being you and me being me, we are entertaining and funny to watch. Now, people watchers know nothing about the people that they watch, right? There's no context to the people that we watch. You don't know their conversation. You don't know their background. You don't know their suffering. You don't know their last argument. You don't know where they got that scar. You don't know where that limp came from. And yet we can automatically just kind of fill in the blanks on people that we don't even know. 
They're strangers to us, and we're not going to take the time. That's not the point, right? We're not going to take the time to get to know them. We're just there to watch the passerbys for the next 10 minutes while we eat our ice cream cone on the bench. I think sometimes Christians can be somewhat similar, except we can be God watchers or Bible watchers. We know him from a distance, and yet we make all sorts of assumptions about him without taking the time to actually know him. In part, the reason for the church's lack, broadly speaking, the church around the world, lack of health today is that we are God watchers on a park bench. We know him at a distance, but we don't know him as he is. We fill in the blanks. We know generalities about God. We know generally God is sovereign. We know generally God is love. And then we just begin to fill in the blanks and we make him to be who we want him to be, not who he is. And then Babylon's pressures land on us. And we lack the tools that we need to know. How do we walk in this anti-God culture in which we live? The question is, will we take the time to get to know him? It's for that reason we slow down the series this morning. God is no stranger We don't want to know him based on our assumptions. We want to know him as he is. I want to recommend to you some books. So brought a little stack of books. Um, Knowing God by J.F. Packer. Anybody have read this? All right, good. Read this. Knowing God. A.W. Tozer. He's got two volumes on this, The Attributes of God. So good. You might be here and you're saying, I'm not much of a reader. Get his small version. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. Spend some time, not just knowing him, God, from a distance, but know him. Who is he? Ah, Jen Wilkins, none like him. Jen Wilkins, in his image. She is gifted in her ability to take profound truths and make them digestible. That's what I need. Um, John Piper, Pleasures of God. There's so many more. Bob Inc. came off the, the, the shelf this week just for you. Um, you're welcome. Uh, but find yourself a good book. Even if, even if you just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a month and take one of these books. Not necessarily so I can get through the cover to cover, but that I can begin to just spend some time not knowing God from a distance, but to, to know him. So I want to recommend those books. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a lot of quotes from these books this morning to hopefully create an appetite, a hunger. I need to read that book. All right, we'll, we'll start with uh, J.I. Packer's book, where J.I. Packer starts quoting Charles Spurgeon. All right, this is how he starts in this book. Let me read it to you. It's a little lengthy. Hang with me. He says this, It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. 
the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the intention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplations of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depths and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt. And with a solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And whilst humbling and expanding, the subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is in contemplation Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. Daniel 2, the king has had a dream. We covered that last week. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. Get yourself kind of caught up. The king has a dream. Daniel has an interpretation of the dream. We're going interp- we're gonna, to we're gonna cover the interpretation of the dream next week. That's important. Hear me. We'll get to that next week. But knowing God is ultimate. It's important we get to the interpretation of the dream, but to know the God who revealed himself to Daniel, that's ultimate. <clears throat> J.I. Packer says, <clears throat> disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life's blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. So with all of that lengthy introduction, please stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel chapter 2, verse number 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. These are all attributes of God we'll be covering in the future in our series. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. 
for you have made known to us the king's matter. Father God, we turn to you now. Almighty God. Eternal Lord. From everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha and Omega. Who was and is and is to come. Our God, we turn to you now. Lord, and we look into your word and we, we, we begin to consider an aspect of who you are. Lord God, would you so fill our souls with this truth? You are the eternal God. Lord, we don't want to view that from a distance and make some assumptions and fill in some blanks. We actually want to know some truths about you as it relates to you, our eternal. So we pray, Holy Spirit, help us today. In your great name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our God is eternal. That is the attribute of God that we're covering this morning. Daniel sounds, in those verses we just read, he sounds a lot like David, doesn't he? He's a theologian and a songwriter at this point. He's a herald who's proclaiming and a worshiper who's responding. I like that Daniel starts with the eternal eternity of God. And I submit to you that if you remove, thanks so much, Robert. Might need it, gonna try to fight through it. If you remove this critical attribute of God or view it simply from a distance, then you water down the rest of who God is into meaningless nothingness. That's what I submit to you. All of who God is, is eternal. He is eternally holy, eternally just, eternally good, eternally merciful. His grace is eternal. He is the eternal, faithful, wise, mighty, sovereign God. All that he is, is eternal. He is all these things, and he is all these things eternally. What does the Bible even mean if God is not eternal? What is salvation if God is not eternal? What is your life? What is Daniel's life living in Babylon? And what is your life living in our Babylon? Where's the hope in an election year? Where's the hope in 2020 when we go through the pandemic like we did? Remove God is eternal from life and life loses all of its meaning. All of it. Hope has left the room. So we quote Moses, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, says Daniel. And we know that to be true. God is eternal. It's kind of so obvious on the park bench. Yawn, yawn, let's move on. What's the next attribute? Let's move along here. Of course he's eternal. And yet I think we know this truth like the watcher on the park bench eating the ice cream. Friends, God is eternal. Get to know that truth up close and personal not from a distance. There's a reason why scripture repeats itself so often, telling us again and again and again, God is everlasting to everlasting. He is the alpha and omega. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From Genesis to Revelation, God is making himself known to us as the eternal God that he is. God is eternal. So what does that mean? Why does it matter? Well, we'll drop through some points here. Firstly, only God has no beginning and no end. God is. Before the beginning, God was. 
God had no starting point. God just is. And it's good for us to meditate on that this morning. The limitations of a created being do not apply to our God, nor should they. Only of God can we speak of in eternalness. We are created by the creator, but only, only in God's book. None of your autobiographies can be opened within the beginning, Tim. Only in God's book do we open in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. A.W. Tozer, but there was never a time when God was not. No one said, let there be God. Otherwise, the one who said, let God be, would have to be God. And the one about whom he said, let him be, wouldn't be God at all. But a secondary God who wouldn't be worth our trouble. God, back there, in the beginning, created. God was, that's all. How else can he introduce himself to us? Have you thought about that? Is there a better introduction to our God than in the beginning? God. We are all time creatures. We all have a beginning. And this world had a beginning. But at the beginning, there was God. And he was there before the beginning. Because God has no beginning. Because God is eternal. And he always was and he always will be because God is God. God never began. He just was. And he always will be. For creatures that only know how to think in terms of time, this truth is literally beyond us. If I said to you this morning, this building has always been here, you would rightly say, Tim, you're stupid. If I asked you, when were you born? And you looked at me with a straight face and said, I always was. I am that I am. I would look at you that you are seriously disturbed. But when we speak and think of our God, he is eternal because he is God. God who created time. God who spoke this world into existence must be beyond time and the boundaries of time. We are creatures of time. Time limits surround us everywhere we go. I wake up in the morning, first thing I want to know is what time is it? Is it time to get up? I went to bed last night, last thing I do. What time is it? It was 11.10. I need to check the time. I want to know how many hours did I sleep last night, right? Like time surrounds us. Do I have time to do this or to do that? Are we running late? We need to get there on time. What time, by the way, is lunch? Because that's important for us to know, right? I've got a calendar. I encourage people, have a calendar. Why? Why all these, why all these things related to time? Right now, I've got a clock ticking down in front of me because I want to be mindful of my time because there's people serving behind that wall with a bunch of children, your children. Thank them, Right? And they're aware of the time. Time is everywhere because we're creatures of time. But here's the thing. God is not. God is not. He is without the limits of time. He created time. Secondly, God is without limits. It's well connected to the first. Eternity means infinite, which means without limit, 
We are finite. We are limited creatures. We are created beings. How does a finite, limited, created mind grasp an infinite, uncreated, unlimited God? Join with Paul. Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We are finite. Only he is infinite. And in his infinitude, there is perfection. All right? Consider, how do you improve on eternal? You can't improve on eternal. Please, I beg you to try. God is beyond us. And yet, this God who is beyond us is near to us. And he reveals himself to us. He is, the fancy words are, he's transcendent and he's imminent. Our God. We cannot contain him. We cannot fully grasp him. How could the created being the created brain fully grasp him who created that brain. If I could fully grasp all that there is to God, I would find myself discouraged. How small of a God that the created brain could fully contain all that is God. I love the mysteries of God. If I could contain all that he is, I would say we serve a small God. We might even say, I am his equal. But no, God is without limits. He is eternal. He is infinite. And everything about me says, I am finite. I am limited. I am created. And every glance at the clock reminds me, I am not God. And so I and we join with Daniel and worship him and live for him. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. God is wholly other. He is transcendent and beyond us. A.W. Tozer in one of these books here quotes Novation. I've never read Novation, but wow, listen, listen to this. For God is greater than the mind itself. His greatness cannot be conceived. Nay, could we conceive of his greatness, he would be less than the human mind which could form the conception. He's greater than all language, and no statement can express him. Indeed, if any statement could express him, he would be less than human speech, which could by such statement comprehend and gather up all that he is. All our thoughts about him will be less than he, and all our loftiest utterances will be trivialities in comparison with him. Take a picture, right? Like It'll last longer. You need to read that a few times. Jen Wilkins writes, his eternal nature is written large and often across scripture. The Bible begins with a timestamp in the beginning and then spends 66 books describing the God who decrees seasons and times but is not bound by them in the least. Free to act within time as he wills, he exists outside of it. He is simultaneously God of the present, the past, present, future, bending time to his perfect will, unfettered by its constraints. The past holds for him no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. Isaiah 
41, who has performed and done this, calling the generation from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Revelation, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 17, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's go to the Psalm, Psalm 102. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 93, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. So run to the letters, 1 Timothy, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God knows nothing of being late. He has no need to hurry it up, pick up the pace. He's not rushing around trying to catch up due to taking an extra day off last week. He is not like us. We foolishly try to squeeze God into our limits. We struggle with the latest pandemic, election, or war. We forget that our God who exists beyond our space and our time is working all things together for our good according to his purposes. We want justice to happen in our space of time. Hear me, justice will come. Not a single injustice will be left unanswered. That's what it means when we say God is eternal. We may not see the resolve to our problems in our brief years, but God exists outside of our years. Wasn't sure if I'd take the time. We okay? We okay this morning? I just want to read. I want to read from... Jan Wilkins. This is under a section titled, Learning to Measure Time. She writes, Here I must acknowledge my great debt, not to a theologian, but to a kindergarten teacher. God bless you, teachers. Though she doesn't know it, Miss, I'm going to call her Greek, G-R-E-A-K, who taught four Wilkins children to write their names nearly neatly and raised their hands politely, taught their mother a vital lesson about time. She explained at Meet the Teacher Night how difficult it was to teach the concept of time to a five-year-old. Each Monday, she instructed the class to take out their journals and write at the top of the page, Today is Monday. Yesterday was Sunday. Tomorrow is Tuesday. The class followed her instructions and harmony reigned. Sweet, tranquil. Her difficulty began on Tuesday when the process was repeated. As soon as she gave the instruction to write, today is Tuesday, looks of concern would flood the, her students' faces. With the instruction to write, yesterday was Monday, a hand would go up. 
Mrs. Greg, you told us today is Monday. No, Monday was yesterday. Today is Tuesday. More worried looks. Another raised hand. Mrs. Greg, you told us tomorrow is Tuesday. No, today is Tuesday. Tomorrow is Wednesday. Following this pronouncement, the children would get upset. From their perspective, Mrs. Greg had stated a complete contradiction. She had told them first that today was Monday and then that today was Tuesday. Which was it? Could this woman be trusted to teach them additional addition if she couldn't even nail down what day today was? Of course, both statements were perfectly true, but because five-year-olds don't, do not yet grasp the concept of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, they questioned her grasp on logic. The problem was not with the message. The problem was with the limited ability of the hearer to understand it. We are like this. We read the promise that God makes everything beautiful in his time. And we look at the unresolved sorrows and hurts of our lives and the lives of others. And we begin to worry that the Bible cannot be trusted. We forget that we are receiving instruction from one whose perspective is not incrementally greater than ours, but infinitely greater. On a spiritual insight scale from zero to God... We would be pathologically prideful to rate ourselves at a kindergarten level. We must be neither surprised nor discouraged to find that we, who are of yesterday and know nothing, are at a loss to comprehend the timing of the one who transcends yesterday, today, and forever. We cannot expect him, we cannot expect to understand our own history or collective human history this side of glory, but we can trust our yesterday, today, and tomorrow to the one who was and is and is to come. Did I mention you should read books like this? Oh. Every sorrow, every grief, All suffering is within the redeeming purposes of our God. And because God is eternal, God has no limits. So ladies, hear hear me. When you're measuring something out for that recipe, be reminded as you make your measurements that that measurement is only for created things. Be reminded for a moment and worship your God. You serve a God without measure. Guys, and when you're lifting weights in the gym, lift the weight and be reminded, God cannot be measured in such terms. He is completely beyond those limits and boundaries. Back to A.W. Tozer, we cannot speak of measure or amount or size or weight and at the same time be speaking of God, for these tell of degrees, and there are no degrees in God. All that he is, he is, without growth or addition, or development. Nothing in God is less or more or large or small. He is what he is in himself. Without qualifying thought or word, he is simply God. Church, this is your God. He is eternal. Number three, God is not dependent. We'll read more from Tozer. I hope it stirs your hunger to read him. Shake your head to get all the wheels going and try to stretch your mind all you can. Then think, if you can, about the past. Think your hometown out of existence. Then think back to when there wasn't anything here but some Indians. Then go back and think all those Indians away. 
Back to before the Indians got here. Go back before that and think away the North American continent. And then think away all this earth of ours. And then let's go back and think that there are no planets and no stars dotting the clear night sky. They've all vanished away and there is no Milky Way, no anything. Go to the throne of God and think away the angels, the archangels, the seraphim and cherubim that sing and worship before the throne of God. Think them all away until there is no creation. Not an angel waves its wing. Not a bird flies in the sky. There's no sky to fly in. Not a tree grows on a mountain. There's no mountain for a tree to grow on. But God lives and loves alone. The ancient of days, world without end, to the vanishing point back as far as the human mind can go. There you have God. What then art thou, O my God? What I ask but the Lord God. For who is the Lord but the Lord? Or who is God save our God? Most high, most excellent, most potent, most omnipotent, unchangeable, yet changing all things new. Never new, never old. Making all things new, yet bringing old age upon the proud, and they know it not. Always working, yet ever at rest. Gathering, yet needing. No wonder David says things. We sang it this morning. Who is man that you are mindful of him? So, okay, God's eternal. What's that matter living in our Babylon today? Glad you asked. God is not dependent. He does not depend on this world. This world depends on him. You woke up this morning. You know why? Because God has sustained you yet another day. When you woke up and you did this, that was God. And your next one and mine, that's God. And he's sustaining you. And he sustains this world. Until that day, he says, that's it. Enough. And this is why it matters to your life. Living in 2024. Because no king, no president, no government, no military power in all his, her, or their wealth and power and military might, none of it sustains this world. When God says, enough, done, he rules over it all and them all. What does that matter? You can trust in him with your eternal salvation. You can put all the weight of your faith away from yourself, away from the wisdom that this world says, this is wise, this is wise, and you put all that weight on the one who is eternal. Trust in him. He's not dependent on an election. He exists beyond an election. He will not be wringing his hands come November. I promise. Oh no, he, she got elected. What does his eternalness matter in this life? It matters so that the Christian places his hope in the eternal God in an eternal kingdom that you and I are a part of. I belong to a greater king and a greater kingdom is my allegiance. It's laughable to think, depending on which side of the aisle you might find yourself on. One side of the aisle looks to their king and says, he can't even walk. The other aisle looks to their side of the king. 
He can't even remember dates or places. There's another candidate. We look at her and we're, she doesn't know where she is. It just depends on which aisle you are to, to help point out the obvious. We are finite creatures. But church, we serve a greater king who is everlasting to everlasting, the ancient of days. Church, wring your hands no more, living in Babylon, and join with the likes of David and Daniel. Join in their singing. Join in the songs of Paul's Roman prison. Why are you singing, Paul? Oh, he knows God. Join with the saints of old of Hebrews 11, some of whom were sawn in two. Join with the reformers who were put on top of a pile of dry sticks to be lit on fire and burned at the stake. Ask any of them on that day what they think the eternalness of God matters to their life in their Babylon. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Nebuchadnezzar will come and he will go and his kingdom will come and he will go and Daniel himself will come and he will go. But as for the king of kings, his name and his rule is forever. Lastly, the Old Testament is a sign that's, it's a signpost pointing to the coming king. You know this if you've been a part of Trinity for any length of time. All of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. Christ is coming. The king is coming. Oh no, what do we do about this king? Oh, well, there's a king. He's coming. There's a greater king. Oh, but now we've got our David. He's a great king. Oh, but friends, there's a greater king and he's coming. What about Solomon and all of his splendor and all of his glory? Oh, oh. no. No, there's a greater king. He's coming. Christ will leave, hear me, the infinite glories of heaven. And he will come and take on the limits of humanity. I'm sure we did not grasp the glories fully that we preached a month ago during Advent. I don't know that we will this side of eternity. The incarnation Jesus came down and was born of a virgin. That's not a once a year message somewhere near December. That is the gospel truth that informs our hearts living in Babylon today. Christ came down. He left his infinitude behind and he took on limits flesh. He condescended. To say that is in no way. We can't overstate that. He was God, and yet he was man. That's another message for another time. The infinite God took on human flesh, and the infinite God not only took on the limits of flesh, the infinite God took on the limits of a cross. The infinite God took on the limits, pierced through to, to a tree he created. The infinite God. They mocked him. 
Oh, if he's the son of God, he'd call on the angels. Take himself. And he could have. The infinite God took on finiteness. As if human flesh wasn't bad enough, he then died. And he died to redeem you. Past sin, present sin, future sin, all sin forgiven on the cross of Christ. And so the eternity of God instructs our soul. We do not have to live with ongoing guilt. We don't have to exalt that guilt. We don't have to mope around and wallow in, ah, my failures in the past, my sin. Rejoice, O child of God. Your sins are forgiven, forever forgiven, eternally forgiven. No wonder the psalmist says, you're the lifter of my head. (laughs) Yes, but let's close the loop. You serve a God who came to this Babylon and took on the limits of this Babylon. And though he delivered Daniel, he didn't deliver himself. He died on that cross that he might deliver you and me. That you might live in an eternal kingdom for an eternal king. Let's continue to close the loop. He rose from the grave. Why or how? Because he is eternal. He's the eternal God. Because death itself could not keep him. Because he's king over death. The grave could not hold him. What is that tomb? Well, he created that. What is that stone that they rolled in front of him? Oh, he created that rock. He's eternal. You serve a great God living in your Babylon. Greater than kings and kingdoms and greater than sin and death. So as we walk through the pain and the suffering and the confusion, and I'll call it the weirdness of the days in which we live in our Babylon, I want to ask you, do you know the eternal king? What do we need in the uncertainty of our future days? As a nation, what do we need in our future days as Christians? Where is this going? You can trust the eternal king. We meditate on the forever God, the forever king who came, and we trust in him. And we do so not at a distance with an ice cream cone in our hand and ice cream dripping down our elbows. We want to get close, we want to know him closely up close, personal, and that is how your God wants to be known. That is literally why he has preserved this and you hold it in your lap today. He's making himself known. Let's stand together.